Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Great. Ah, good morning. How are you? Pretty good. Okay, pretty good to great. That's, that's wonderful, the whole spectrum. It's great to be here. Um, we are halfway through a series on the book of Proverbs, which if you don't know, is an ancient book in the Old Testament full of wisdom, which has stood the test of time and helped people to live fruitful, faithful lives for many, uh, many centuries now. And today we are going to look at what this book has to say about the subject of money. I don't know how that makes you feel. Uh, I was talking to a friend recently, a couple of weeks ago, from a different church who said, hey, I'd love to come and visit Christchurch. When are you next preaching? I said, October 21st. She was like, great. She got out her phone. She's putting it in the calendar. I said, it's on money. She said, and what's the date after that? (laughs) It was clearly not a prior engagement that had uh, caused her reluctance to be here. You see, knowing that we are going to talk about a subject like this can elicit a whole load of different responses from people. Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, great, I know that I could do with some wisdom and I'm really eager to know what the book of Proverbs has to say about this. Maybe some of you are actually great at managing money, whether personally or professionally, and you suspect that this ancient book and this slightly less ancient preacher has nothing new to teach you on the subject. On the latter, you may be right, but the Bible is full of wisdom. Maybe actually your reaction is to kind of cringe inwardly and think, oh man, if I knew that was the topic today, I wouldn't have come. Because for money... For for some of us, money is a painful subject that is the cause of a lot of anxiety or fear in our lives. Maybe some of you feel skeptical about someone preaching on a subject like this because you've heard bad teaching in the past, or you suspect that churches only talk about money when secretly we want you to give it to us. (laughs) Well, whatever you're feeling about money today, I think the fact that it elicits strong reactions tells us something quite powerful about its, its hold and its power in every area of our lives. Money has the ability to give us sleepless nights. It shapes every one of our decisions. It causes many great arguments and is one of the biggest causes of relational breakdown. It has a power in our lives. We need to know how to deal with it well. And today I want to look at a couple of principles that Proverbs suggests for how to do that. And if I were to sort of sum it up as an intro, I think I would say that Proverbs in the whole Bible says more important than how much you have is what your attitude is towards it. More important than what is in your bank is actually what is in your heart. So whatever your situation and your relationship to money today, I hope this will be insightful. I hope it will be challenging. I hope it will be encouraging. Point three is encouraging, so bear with me to point three. And even if we can't change our situation as much as we would like to or as quickly as we would like to, I think all of us can take responsibility for what is in our hearts. So I hope today will be encouraging for you. It's encouraged me as I have worked through preparing it. And I should say before we start, today is not a talk on giving and it's also not a talk on um, on helping those who are in severe poverty, in severe fan- financial need. Both of those are very important subjects that I would do a disservice to try and squeeze into this talk today. So we will cover both of those separately. I want to look at three broad points that Proverbs encourage us, us to pursue, and they are wisdom, discipline, and faith. Let's begin with wisdom. In Proverbs 8, wisdom herself says this, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Proverbs says again, again, and again, and again, that wisdom is worth far more than wealth. There are loads of references not on that screen. (laughs) 
gosh, you never know what's behind me. <laughs> I should look around more often. There, are le- there we go, right on the bottom. Loads of references. Again and again, Proverbs says that wisdom is greater than wealth and the archbishop. And again and again, it makes this point. The thing to pursue is not wealth in itself, but wisdom. And I think the reason that Solomon knew this and taught this was actually born out of his own experience. If you look at Solomon's own story, when he became king of Israel, God appeared to him in a dream and said to him, ask me for whatever you want. I want a dream like that. <laughs> like, that's a great dream. That's pretty broad. No caveats, no small print, no ixnay on the wishing for more wishes, like just anything. And Pro- Pro- uh, sorry, Solomon said, Lord, if I'm to rule your kingdom, if I'm to rule your people, what I need is not material things. I need wisdom. And God was so happy with that response. He said, I will give you wisdom, but I'll also give you wealth as well. Wealth greater than any other king up to this point has had. So when Solomon writes repeatedly that wisdom is worth more than wealth, I think he knows that from his own experience and because he's heard that from the mouth of God. Now, just to be clear, the Bible is not anti-wealth. It really isn't. The Bible does not teach, as many people say, that money is the root of all evil, but rather the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, actually, wealth itself is not a bad thing. It's bad when it gets a power over our hearts such that we love wealth more than we love wisdom. And actually, we know that wealth isn't a bad thing because God gave Solomon incredible wealth. He said, because you've asked for wisdom and not wealth, that tells me that your heart is inclined the right way, and therefore I will give you wealth greater than any other king. I think this tells us an important principle, that if we pursue wealth over wisdom, we may get it, and it may lead to our downfall. But if we pursue, first of all, wisdom, we may become the kind of people who God is able to entrust with great riches, because he knows where our heart is. Pursue wisdom, says Proverbs. Now, I argued in week one that wisdom is a multifaceted idea, and it has at least three levels of meaning. It is practical, it is ethical, and it is theological or spiritual. It's to do with the skill of living successfully, the skill of living well, ethically, but also all of that is rooted in your relationship with your creator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Proverbs 30, there is this this brilliant prayer of the wise person. And I think it's all rooted in this idea of fear of the Lord, relationship with your creator. It says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I think that is a brilliantly nuanced prayer. This prayer recognizes that the extremes of riches or poverty both bring challenges with them that that threaten to undermine the most important thing, which is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. Let me spell it out. It says, for those who have a lot, the temptation is towards pride. And so here in this prayer, the the, the person praying knows if I have a lot, my heart will be inclined to say, well, I don't need God because look at everything I have got. And Proverbs again and again argues that while wealth is not bad, it brings a challenge with it, which is that we can end up looking at it like Proverbs 18 says, as if it's a a mighty fortress. It will protect us. It will give us the salvation and protection we need. Really, it's not like that at all. Proverbs 23 says, cast a glance at riches. I love the way it says it. And and it will just sprout wings and fly away. It's like it becomes a bird that you think, hey, I'm behind a strong fortress wall. No, it'll become like a bird and be gone over that wall before you know it. Wealth cannot provide the security we think it offers 
us. And if we have a lot, our temptation is to think, I don't need God because I am secure. That is the first step towards your downfall. But at the other end of the spectrum, there is another challenge, which is that if you don't have a lot, you may think, well, God is not providing for me. Therefore, I've got to find another way of getting this stuff without him. I've got to do away with him and take matters into my own hands, which may lead to getting wealth by unjust or at least unwise means. So Proverbs says, keep me from these two extremes that would rob me of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We get tempted if we go to these extremes to either displace God because we think I've got everything, I don't really need him, or to distrust him because we think, well, he's not providing, I'm going to find another way without him. And both lead to ruin, Proverbs says. Whether we have a lot or a little, if we pursue wealth over wisdom, we will end up enslaved, either to wealth that we have and we feel we need to protect at all costs, or to a wealth that we don't have, but we think if only I had it, it would be enough to save me. Neither is healthy. So instead, Proverbs 30 says, pray this prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Does that sound familiar at all? If you've been praying along with us this week, every day, about the middle of the day, around lunchtime, as you've been getting ready for your daily bread, you've been praying the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day, Jesus said. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus didn't say, just let me win the lottery once and I can buy bread whenever I want it. (laughs) No, he tells us to pray a prayer coming to God every single day for the provision of that day. Why? Because a heart inclined towards trusting God daily is worth more than a heart that says, just give me what I want and I can do away with you, God. Come to God daily for your provision. That's what it means to pursue wisdom over wealth. I was reading a booklet recently by an organization called Praxis, who are absolutely brilliant, an American organization. Andy Crouch, who's a good friend of ours at Christchurch, is on their board. And I think actually wrote this, um, this booklet. They exist to help entrepreneurs to think about how they can use their skills and their passions and their platform to uh, contribute to human flourishing and the flourishing of culture. And they've written this catchy titled uh, booklet called A Rule of Life for Redemptive Entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, that's great. You really want to read that, don't you? But it's well worth reading and it's well worth everyone reading. And it's full of just brilliant, simple practi- um, practices that you can apply. And one of them is to do with money. And it says this, this commitment you make. It says, we commit to regularly pray for God to protect us and our organizations from wealth and financial windfalls until we're prepared to be good stewards. I like that. I think that is a powerful prayer. You know, if I were starting a business or wanting to, uh, to, to, to make a difference, to use my skills for the blessing of others and, and starting something from scratch, I imagine my prayers will be immediately like, God, just give me everything I need. Give me lots. Give me expansion and give me growth and give me wealth. And if God were to answer those prayers, actually that may lead to my undoing. Because what we need is not primarily wealth. We need wisdom. So this prayer says, Lord, would you actually protect me from those things, the things that I might actually want until I'm ready to steward them well? We need to pursue wisdom over wealth. Now, this is probably a challenging prayer for all of us to pray, but maybe you actually are already on your way to amassing great wealth. Maybe you are in a career where your trajectory is going to lead towards um, you making enormous amounts of money. Maybe you are gifted in the area of wealth creation, and that is the skill that God has given you, and that is good. And I want to commend you to use that well. That is good. But would you dare to pray this prayer? Lord, I'm on this trajectory, but I don't want to get there before I'm ready for it. Lord, would you guard me from wealth until my heart is full of wisdom? I think that's the first encouragement from Proverbs. Pursue wisdom. The second is this. 
Pursue discipline. See, as we've said many times throughout this series, wisdom is not just about intellectual understanding. It's about applying that in such a way that you bring out good fruit. And we're told here that Proverbs says, if you are to manage your money well, it needs practical application. You need discipline. A lot of the metaphors that it uses are agricultural metaphors about sowing and tending and reaping and harvesting and storing. And what's common to all of those is that they're not just intellectual ideas. They're physical, that your hands get dirty when you're doing those things. They are practical. They require hard work and effort and discipline. Proverbs 21 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. I like this. Notice, it's not talking here about some people who have access to choice foods and others who don't. In this proverb, it's contrasting two people who have the very same resources. What's different about them is the mindset. One of them says, I am having a long-term mindset. I'm going to eat a little now and save a little for the future. The other is just like guzzling down the olive oil, which incidentally, if you do that, that is gross. (laughs) Like, don't guzzle down olive oil. You can have that bit of wisdom for free. That's just grim. But the point is this. The mindset that you apply to the resources you have will affect your stability for the future. And so Proverbs tells us you need discipline to live with a long-term rather than a short-term mindset. Now, I know for many of us, this is a hugely challenging idea. You probably read some of the articles recently in which the Office of National Statistics talked about the state of saving in our nation. It said that between, uh, people between the ages of 22 to 29, uh, this is nationwide, not just in London, 53% of them have no savings at all. And that figure is 12% higher than it was 10 years ago. Among those who do have savings, 4 in 10 have less than £100 stored away. Now, in a city that is so expensive like ours, I understand the pressure on savings. I understand the challenge it is. Before I lived in London, great, I could save tons. I moved to London, suddenly that went down significantly. I get that. And it is tempting when you see things like that to think, yeah, Proverbs is not written to 21st century Londoners. We can do away with this ancient book. I understand that. But I'd caution you before you do. When I was reading through Proverbs, just preparing for this talk, the, the proverb that tripped me up was Proverbs 13, 22, which says this. A good man or a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Honestly, my first thought was, seriously? Give me a break. Like, give me a break. It is hard enough saving for... Uh, <laughs> That's particularly for Tim Frisbee, who, who plagues us with these things, bitmojis. Every text, every email you get has got a picture of him. So I did that to mock him, and he's not even here, but I enjoy keeping it. <laughs> seriously, I thought. Proverbs 13, 22. It is hard enough living day to day in this city. It's hard enough saving for things that are a year away or five years away. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old child. It's hard enough saving to prepare for her, let alone her kids in time. Give me a break, Proverbs. And so everything in your heart just cries out, thinking this book is not written to 21st century Londoners. And so it's so tempting to throw it away and say that wisdom is out of date. I would caution you before you do. Because actually the original heroes were not in a stable situation. They lived in an agrarian society where, where a bad weather or pestilence or war would just wipe out your crops and you'd have nothing to sell and nothing to feed your family. So these guys knew what it was like to live in challenging times. This is not just airy-fairy naive wisdom. And there are three principles of discipline that I found really helpful in Proverbs. They are these. Firstly, take stock. Maybe the first step to applying financial wisdom is to just be aware of what your situation is like. Proverbs 27 says this, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. 
You know, many people get into trouble before they even know it. And they don't know how much trouble they're in because they've neglected to look, to take stock, to know what their situation is like. Maybe it just gets to the point where it's too painful and you get that pop-up. Would you like an advice slip? No, that's the last thing I want. And so you just don't dare to look anymore and you don't really know. The first step of wisdom is to take stock. It may be that you need to set aside time. Get a coffee, take a deep breath, open your internet banking, get internet banking, whatever it takes, and just look honestly, how is my situation? How does my income and my outgoings, how do, how do they measure up? How much do I have in savings? How much do I owe? Until you know those things, you are powerless to change them. The first step of wisdom is to take stock. Look at the key areas of spending. My wife and I do this from time to time. Actually, our banking system does this thing where it will itemize your spending for you so you can look back and without having to do much work, you look and you suddenly look and you think, oh, I know what the big areas of spending are. And you look and, oh, that's, that's not as big as I thought. But these little areas I thought were inconsequential. When you add those up, they're a pretty big drain on my pay packet. And it's not until you look and you actually take stock that you realize and that equips you to know what changes you can make. So first step, take stock. Secondly, Take steps. Take little steps. Don't feel you have to change everything in one go. Take little steps. Having a long-term mindset is so important because none of us can change our situation overnight. We need to take little steps, little by little by little. For example, maybe you have never saved. Maybe, maybe that's never been a habit of yours. Why don't you start by taking a simple step of just saving a tiny amount? Now, as you look at your finances, you may think, yeah, I could say that much, but that feels so insignificant. That won't make a difference. Start with that. Honestly, get into the habit with that little bit, and it will serve you well. Proverbs 13, 11 says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Just start being faithful with the small steps, trusting that it will grow. You may find it helpful to set a goal for how much you think you could save. Even if it feels tiny, do not beat yourself up over it. There is there is value in the discipline. Start small, little by little. You may find it helpful to automate your savings so they go out before any of your other outgoings so that you know what else you've got to play with. You may want to operate on a cash budget, at least for a season. We found this helpful at particular times where we've not really kind of got a grasp of what we're, we're spending on. So just to take out the money you have for that week, and it makes you really think about every bit of money that you're handing over. It makes you do wise decisions. Some banks offer services like rounding up schemes. I don't know if you've seen these, where if you pay by card, it rounds up to the nearest pound and puts that away into savings for you. So you spend £1.70 and 30p just automatically goes away. And you may not feel like that's anything. 30p, what is that? But it amounts over time. Little by little, take care of your finances and it will grow. Personally, my wife and I have found it helpful to try and live by a rule of thumb of 80-10-10. I know this doesn't work for everyone. It's really helped us for many years now. We aim to live on 80% of our income, save 10%, give 10%. Now, like I've said, we're not going to talk on giving today, but it's my conviction and my wife's conviction we share it, that actually when you give, that is an indication of where your heart really is. So giving is important for us. And we found it helpful to live by this rule of thumb. We've not always been able to do it in every season. There have been times where due to unexpected outgoings or prolonged illness, so we've had less coming in, uh, we've not been able to save as much as we would have liked to. But the flip side is also true. There have been seasons where we have been able to save and give way more than that 10% because God has been blessing us in those seasons. Just having a helpful rule of thumb has been really useful for us. 
Now, that might work for you. Or it may be that you look at 80-10-10 and you think that is completely unachievable. Well, I tell you what, 98-1-1 is better than 100-0-0. So just take a little step. Take a little step. But little by little, you gather your money and it will grow. And sometimes it's useful just to have something to build towards, even if it takes you time to get there. Have a long-term mindset. You know, the brilliant thing about the agricultural metaphors is this. They are slow. They require patience. You don't sow seeds, go to sleep, come back, get a harvest the next day. Actually, in harvesting, you are always harvesting things you sowed a year ago. And the same is true in finances. We can't expect our situation to change like that. But if we little by little tend and grow in the years to come, we will be able to look back and say, I'm so grateful because now I have a harvest. Firstly, take stock. Secondly, take steps. And thirdly, take advice. Take advice. In Proverbs 13, so in the context of money, one verse away, it says, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. I think this is true for many areas of our lives, but particularly maybe for finance. So many of us remain in painful and difficult and unhealthy situations because we don't dare to reach out for help. And often the reason is pride, or it's fear. I know for many people, there is such a sense of shame attached to debt or to not being able to keep up with others who seem to have so much disposable income. And so you end up in this place where you are locked in and you're enslaved and you need help, but you don't dare reach out for it. The only way to begin breaking that cycle is to break the wall of shame and to take advice. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. It may well be that you need to think of someone who is a trusted friend who you can reach out to and say, hey, can you just tell me how this works for you? Some things that you can help me with. It may well be that you need some basic budgeting tips and money management advice, and that is out there. Go and find it. That's where wisdom is to be found, in breaking the wall of shame and reaching out for help. Christians Against Poverty are just a brilliant charity cap who provide help, uh, budgeting support, money management advice. And we as a church have run the cap money course a number of times. Uh, We don't currently have anything in the diary, but uh, in fact, I was talking to someone at the South Service today who's like, I would love to help people in this area. So if we can help you, I don't know how we'll do that right now. We don't have anything to invite you to. But go to the website, christchurchlondon.org forward slash cap and get in touch with us. Drop us an email. We may be able to connect you with a a cap center at a local church or we may be able to provide some one-on-one help or even run a course. Reach out for help. Reach out for help. That is where wisdom is found. And actually, it may well be that you know what you need is not budgeting advice, but help in some other area. Because so often we get into difficult situations because of unhelpful patterns or habits or spending uh, habits that we have developed uh, over time. So if you know there are things in your life that are causing you to overspend and they are the underlying issues and you need help with those, we would love to help you. We have a pastoral support team who would happily talk with you. The STEPS course is a brilliant way to process unhealthy habits. Our courses are currently on at the moment, but get in touch with us. We would love to connect you when the new one starts. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. Don't allow shame to keep you stuck in an unhealthy place. First step, take stock. Secondly, take little steps, little by little. Thirdly, take advice. So Proverbs tells us we need wisdom, we need discipline. The third element, though, is this, it's faith. Because Proverbs is not just a practical book. It's not just a money management book like you might find on the shelves of any good bookshop. There's something different about it. It reveals the heart and the character of God. And when I talk about faith, I don't mean faith in money management skills. I mean faith in him. 
knowing that he is a loving, good God who loves to provide for his people. Just listen to these Proverbs. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. The righteous eat to their heart's content. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with wine. Proverbs teaches that God loves to provide for his people and we should come to him in faith. Now, some people have taken verses like that way out of context and way just in isolation and run to extremes and have preached what is known as prosperity theology. And if you've heard of that or if you haven't heard of that, essentially that's the idea that Christians should all be wealthy. We should all have everything we need and more if only you have enough faith. And strangely enough, faith often is demonstrated by giving financially to the person who preaches that message, sowing into their ministry. And so there's this whole category of thinking where people say Christians should all expect to be wealthy if only you have enough faith. Now, I don't think that is biblical at all. I think that is harmful. I think that is damaging, and I think it's a distortion of what the Bible teaches about money. But I've, often, I've felt this in my own life as well. I have seen many people react to that and run completely to the other extreme and develop like an austerity theology where it's, we expect Christians to have very little. And so what we do is we downgrade our faith such that we think, well, God will not make us super rich. He probably doesn't want to care for us at all. And so we end up in this situation where we don't ever expect or even pray about God blessing us. I think actually that's equally damaging because God makes promises to provide for us. There is a middle ground between the extremes, as is always the case in Proverbs. He invites us to come to him in faith. He loves to bless his people when we approach him in faith. I don't know about you, but I think that is good news. If we are to be a blessing to this city, we need to have a long-term mindset. We need to be a church that is here for decades if we're to genuinely bless this city. And that is going to take faith. And that is going to take provision. Now, I know that some of you are here for two years and then you've got plans to move on, and that is fine. That is great. You are genuinely very welcome here, and we hope you enjoy being here, and God bless you genuinely. But I know that there are also many people in this church who, at a deep level, you just think, I want to be here for the long term. I want to be here for the decades. But when I look at the practicalities, I don't know how that's going to happen. Because getting on the property ladder here just seems unachievable to you. And raising a family here just seems impossible. You don't see many models of people doing that well. And so often you can look at it and think, how am I meant to do that whilst also doing the other Christian things like giving and being generous? And it feels like it's just inevitable. It isn't going to happen. Let me tell you this. We have a God who can create a world with a word, who can heal the sick and who can raise the dead. You better believe he can do the impossible in the area of your finances. He promises to give us vats overflowing with wine. I think metaphorically, I'll take it literally. I don't mind. Like, both. That'll be great. I don't have a barn, but I'll build one if that's what it takes. We worship a God <laughs> heckled by a one-year-old. That's beautiful. Amen. Like, we worship a God who can do the impossible. We're going to need to know that we're worshipping that kind of God if we genuinely to be a blessing to the city in the long term. We're not going to make it otherwise. God invites us to trust him, to come to him in faith. And these two points, discipline and faith, they are not in conflict with one another. They come hand in hand. It is not the case that you work hard or you trust God. You do both. 
I was reading the autobiography of uh, the late, great Dallas Willard, who's just a brilliant uh, philosopher and Christian author. And there's this story about a girl who came to him while he was teaching and asked him to pray for her in an upcoming exam. And he sort of pondered it and he said, well, have you revised? Because if you've revised, then I'll pray for you. And I love that response. I think that is a great response. Is that, have you done what you're meant to do? If so, I will pray for God to break in. And if that girl, actually, I don't know if he did pray for her or if she succeeded, she may have failed for all I know, but say she passed that exam with flying colours, she would never know whether the reason that happened was because of her hard work or because of that prayer. In reality, it was probably a combination of both. The same is true of our finances. God tells us both to pursue wisdom and discipline and to trust him to do the impossible. Faith is not an excuse to avoid discipline and nor should discipline be a way of getting rid of God so that we can do it in our own strength. We need both faith and discipline, trusting that God can provide in incredible ways. And sometimes when he provides, he will do it in seemingly supernatural ways, sometimes in seemingly natural ways. I don't mind so long as I get the goal, which is wisdom and the provision of God. Sometimes God will provide in ways that just seem like I did not see that coming. Like he won't often drop money out of the sky, although when I pray, I pray like that just in case. Like <laughs> it's not happened yet, but that's it's a good move. I don't want anyone else getting it when it falls to the ground. So like sometimes he will provide in supernatural ways. Sometimes it seems way more natural. Sometimes it's that little like that gift from a friend or that discount or that thing that's a rebate or something like that. Or or it's a nudge to go for promotion or to change career or or to invest in a different way, or to save in a different way. And it feels very natural, but it's God's means of providing for you. God loves to provide. I want to tell you a story I heard just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, someone emailed me about this, and so I'll read you their words in their email, but first just a bit of context. Um, the beginning of this year, I was preaching, and it wasn't a sermon on money. In fact, this is the first sermon I've ever given one on money. Uh, but I was preaching, and, and at the end of it, I was just going to pray, and suddenly this idea came into my mind. I saw a picture just in my imagination of a couple sitting by a computer, opening their internet banking, and they're just slamming it down. They couldn't look. And I felt like there was a couple there who were really struggling with anxiety and who I should offer to pray for. Now, I don't have like big faith for this but I thought I should just offer that and so I said that I said I feel like there's a couple here who need prayer today they're struggling with anxiety over finances if you would like prayer come and talk to me at the end this couple came and found me and they said that they about uh, just under a year previously had felt that God had given them a nudge for the wife to take a year out and to go back to study um, in order to advance her career in due course and they felt that was the leading of God and so they took out a loan to cover the fees and at first it seemed great like the guy got a pay increase and they felt like that was the blessing of God but then challenges came their way unexpected uh, bills came their way and suddenly they found themselves unable to cope and getting deeper and deeper and deeper into their overdraft the guy writes this it seemed like God had completely abandoned us the stress of being in debt and not knowing how to get out of it felt overwhelming and there wasn't a single day we didn't think and worry about it every time we did a food shop I was thinking we can't afford this. We're spending money we don't have. And I felt consumed by stress and anxiety. After several months like this, we had to pay the last installment for the course with no money left in the overdraft to pay it. It got closer and closer to the deadline and there seemed to be no way we could pay, meaning my wife couldn't take her exams and the whole thing would have been pointless. We asked family and friends and none were able to help. I kept thinking of those stories where some missionary is praying desperately for provision and 10K just suddenly turns up on the doorstep. That never happened for us. And our prayers were getting desperate. Suddenly, one day a family member rang to say out of the blue that they had an unexpected work bonus and would like to give it to us to pay the last law course bill. We still had our debt and our overdraft, but it just covered the last bill for the course. We couldn't believe it. 
I remember going to work the next day and still not being able to believe it, but also feeling a bit of resentment. I like this guy's honesty at this point. He says, it sounds terrible to say it after being given an amazing gift and breakthrough, but I remember praying and saying, God, if you are this generous, all-providing God, you could have given us this to pay the bill, but also cleared our debt and our overdraft and allowed us to be free from it all. I remember feeling God say, I could, but do you want to have to rely on me or do you want to be completely self-sufficient and independent from me? I realized that my relationship with God had been put through the mill, but ultimately had been strengthened and had new depth as a result of this process. God never provided us with one massive lump sum to clear our debt. We're still paying off the loan and still getting out of our overdraft. But I remember looking back over this year, and that's the year since they've been in this situation and and since we prayed at the beginning of the year. And he said, I remember looking back and seeing how at every stage God had provided us with just enough for what we needed. And he listed all these little blessings that God had given them throughout the year. He never wiped all our money problems away. But actually, I'm glad he didn't because we've learned to depend on him and have grown in confidence and trust that he will meet us with what we need and more. I love that story. I want to hear more of those stories. I want to experience more of those sorts of stories. I love that because it illustrates many things, not least the heart of a God who loves us, who knows what we need and who delights in providing. I love the fact that they trusted God to follow that initial nudge, even when it felt like a risk. I love that when things didn't work out the way they hoped, they didn't just say, well, God has failed us, we'll find another way. They went back to him in prayer. I love the fact that they came forward for prayer on that Sunday where anxiety was eating them up. I love the fact that they have had eyes to see every way that God has blessed them along the way. I love the fact that God didn't wipe away every bit of their debt so that they would have just said, I don't need him, I'm self-sufficient. But he kept them trusting for their daily bread and he has taught them so much about how he loves them. And I love the fact that since then, the two of them have both got new jobs and are working their way out of this situation and towards a healthy lifestyle. God is a good father and he provides for those who follow him. Whatever you need, bring them to him in prayer. And maybe the band want to come back up. Solomon's experience is just a pale fraction of the true generosity of God. He only got to see a little bit of it. Solomon had this dream and God said, ask me for anything. And he asked for wisdom. And God said, since you've asked for wisdom... I'll give you that and I'll also give you wealth like no other king has ever experienced. And that seems pretty generous. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, Don't worry what you'll eat or drink or wear. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store or any of the things I've talked about today. They don't do any of those things and yet God feeds them. Look at the flowers. They don't sew clothes together and yet they are more glorious than who? Solomon. They don't sew, they don't create clothes, and yet God clothes them more gloriously than the king who seemed to have greater wealth than any other king until that point. And Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about what you eat and what you wear. But he doesn't say don't worry about those things because they're physical and only spiritual things matter. He doesn't say that at all. He says, don't worry, because of course they matter, and your heavenly father knows they matter, and so he's not going to let you down because you are worth more to him than a pigeon or a plant. So come to God in faith. Don't let anxiety rob you of trusting in him. You know, the Bible does not promise that God will make us wealthy. Actually, it promises that if we had great wealth, many of us wouldn't be able to handle it. But it does promise that if we trust him, if we put his kingdom first and righteousness first and we follow him and we pursue wisdom over wealth, he will give us everything we need. I don't know where you're at today. It may well be that you're here just thinking, 
I have needs that you cannot even imagine, and they are painful and they're difficult. And maybe you have disappointment for having prayed before and found yourself continually in difficult places. My encouragement is still come back to God in faith. Trust that he loves you and that he loves to provide for you. Put his kingdom first. It may well be that actually you know deep down I've been pursuing wealth more than wisdom. Simply confess that to God today and ask him to help you to switch the order of those things in your life. Maybe, maybe there are practical steps you need to take and that as we come back to worship, you need to make a decision. This week, I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to take that time to take stock, whatever it happens to be. Maybe you just want to thank God for the blessing he has given you in his life. That's allowed. <laughs> Gratitude is good. Maybe you felt entirely hopeless and trapped by shame. Today, I want to pray that that shame would be broken in Jesus' name. I want to pray that you would reach out and take advice. That's where you will find wisdom. And if you doubt the generosity of God, honestly, you need look no further than the cross. Because there, God gave his most precious thing, his own son, to free us from the debt of sin and to break the power of shame. And in Romans 8, it says, If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is a good father who has already given us the most precious gift. Anything else, anything else is completely within his capability to give. Come to him in faith today. So I'm going to pray. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for various different things that we've touched on today. And if there's a line that stands out and you think that applies to me, just like, take it and say, that's a prayer for me today. And if you would like prayer one-on-one, we would happily pray with you at the end. The prayer team would love to pray with you. I know they would. But why don't we stand? You might find it helpful just to close your eyes and hold out your hands, just in case. (laughs) When we hold out our hands to God, actually, it's... It's not just a way of saying I'm ready to receive from you. It's also a way of saying I'm ready to relinquish things to you as well. I'm, I'm unhelpful attitudes, things that I've held that have been like a city wall to me, have made me feel like I don't need you. Holding out your hands is a way of saying I'm ready to receive. I'm also ready to give up as well. Lord God, thank you that you are a good father who loves us deeply, who knows our needs and who is willing and able to provide. Would you help us to pursue wisdom? Protect us from any temptation that would compromise our trust in you. Would you help us to pursue discipline? Would you give us insights about the next steps for each of us to take and help us to know how we can manage our finances with a long-term perspective? I want to pray for anyone who is experiencing fear or anxiety or shame. I pray it will be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray for courage to face up to their situation and to reach out for help, and I pray for your provision. I pray for those here that you have gifted with wealth creation skills. Would you give them integrity to know how to handle the challenges they will face, which will be unique to them, and to steward wealth in a way that leads to flourishing? I pray that we will be a people of faith. And I ask that as we seek to honor you with our money, would you provide for us individually and corporately? I ask for miracle stories. In the coming weeks and months, would you help us to appreciate the many ways you are already blessing us? And would you extend your blessing? Would barns overflow? Would vats of wine spill over? 
Would you equip our church to be here for the long term, bringing blessing and hope and freedom to this city? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.